And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Hello, everybody, and welcome. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. You get a look there behind the scenes at the studio and all of my choices that I have, all the different things that I got to be looking at, all of the buttons I got to push, the screens I got to watch. It is mayhem and chaos here, but I am a professional. <clears throat> at least that's what they tell me. Good, <laughs> good afternoon, everyone. Uh, good to see everybody in the chat. I see Cam, Robert, Keeley. Good to have all of you with us. If you are with us live, the chat is open. If you are not with us live, uh, I see Dave showing up there. If you're not with us live, you can leave a comment as well as uh, anybody can send us email. Live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com. Of course, this program available on a number of different podcast platforms as well. Uh, and uh, and we do appreciate everyone who shows up. We've got listeners in Russia, Denmark, Germany. Uh, I see Saudi Arabia popping up on the map this week. So, uh, you know, hey, you never know where the next people are coming from who are going to listen to your show. So we got to be on our toes all the time, right? I guess, maybe. Right. <laughs> Okay, um, one one little thing here. Let me uh, let me get through this here real quick. I have said a number of times that. Uh, hang on, let me turn that off. Hold on, turn that off. I have said a number of times here that the internet, the social media aspect of internet, of course, is a dumpster fire. But I think I've found a solution. Uh, and and this comes. Peter Samedi retweeted this. This is on uh, this is on Twitter this morning. Uh, the uh, the the how things work account has posted this. It's a new toilet that when you flush, it burns everything. <laughs> this thing is full of fire and not water. Uh, so. I think I think maybe we found our solution to social media right there. I don't know. It's uh, speaking speaking of mayhem and magic. Uh, that is, uh, I guess, a good starting point. There are two books out now because the second book dropped today. Uh, the books of Alexandria, uh, book one, the book club, uh, came out a few months ago, and we did a review. You can find that over at sci-fi4me.com. The uh, uh, link is in our notes. And book two, The Between, is out now. And uh, joining us from the East Coast, Jason Nadler, the author. And this is a trilogy, and before we get into anything else, let me first, in the interest of full disclosure, uh, share with everyone that Jason and his wife, have uh, his wife Laura, have contributed to this site before uh, with various different interviews on the red carpet and different events, uh, Tribeca Film Festival being one of them. So we have a history somewhat, but... That doesn't prevent me from writing an objective review of the book, and now we can sit there and talk about it. Welcome, Jason. How are you? 
I am fantastic. How are you, Jason? I'm, Thanks for having me on. I'm doing pretty good. I was glad we were. Uh, I'm glad we were able to put this uh, together and have you on to talk about it because I, I enjoyed the first book and I have the second book here. I'm getting ready, getting ready to crack it open and start looking. There's one aspect of it that we'll talk about a little bit later on. But first of all, I want to get into how you got started in this, because this is your first foray into writing as far as novels go. Have you done any short fiction or anything else prior to this? How did you get started in this? So I've done a little short fiction recently. Um, You know, writing was a big dream growing up, something I was uh, very passionate about. Um, started writing novels in high school and um, simple reality is you you get to be an adult and uh, bills and work get in the way and writing is a very uh, energy intensive thing you have to kind of lock yourself away and do it and um, it just wasn't the right time and after about uh, 15 years I decided that I wanted to uh, to try it out again and um, so yes it's my first time out there but uh, it's been been bubbling and boiling for a long time i am i'm wondering at your process because uh you know this has been this has been sitting there percolating has has all of the all of the stuff that you've done before prior to this would you describe that as dabbling or you know this is just some noodling that i've done just for kicks and now because now it feels like Okay, this is the serious for real thing now. It's not just I'm I'm going to do this as a hobby just on a lark. Now it feels like you're more invested maybe because of the of the scope and the size of the work. Would you say that's an accurate read of things? Yeah, no, it definitely is. Um I I learned very quickly that to do it well and I I needed to be consistent and um it had to be an everyday thing and you know, when you have work and life and trying to find a balance there, it's uh, it can be a very precarious balancing act. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, we do have a suggestion in the chat from Keeley says, if you're planning on turning your books into movies, make sure you have full control and that the lore of those books are respected because Hollywood will screw you. I wonder I wonder what Keeley's got in mind when he's talking about that. Uh, Dave in the chat asks, uh, do you have a favorite author or guilty pleasure genre? Because this is a fantasy work, this trilogy, and we'll get into that here in a minute. But do you have a a guilty pleasure book that's, that's one of those that you shouldn't admit that you like, but you do? That's a tough one. Um... So I, I don't think anything pleasurable should make you feel guilty, but um, no, I don't. Um, you know, my my uh, I read kind of all over the map. Um, I'm I'm reading some Deborah Harkness right now. Um, I read a lot of nonfiction fiction. I'm, I'm kind of wherever wherever my interest pulls me in that moment. All right. So let's get into this, uh, the books of sure. Alexandria, because the premise is that you have this, uh, you have this young girl, Alexandria, who is the center of all of this activity that's going on with regard to magic and, and I guess maybe sorcery and depending on who's, who's running things. 
and she becomes the target of some people who want to make sure that magic remains restrained. And as I understand it, the premise here, way back when, women had the ability to wield magic just at without restraint. And men decided, well, women are emotional and this could be a problem and it could end in tears. And so we're going to restrain magic by capturing it and putting it into books and restricting access to those spells. That's the that's the general premise of this. The book is much more enjoyable than the, the dry reading that I just gave it. Um, and I had I had a good time reading the book. I enjoyed the book. But I have to take issue with this fundamental... Sure. I, I hesitate to say misandry, but it's, it's almost subtextual because there is no adult male character in the first book with any redeeming quality whatsoever. Well, so... That is true. I, I can't deny that. But you also have to remember that the story is told from Alexandria's point of view. And her experience is very limited. She's led a very cloistered life. And so the the men she has in her life, you know, her, her father, Peter, we meet. Um, there's not much going on there. Um, her aunt's husband, Eric, we meet him. Um, and, you know, there's there's two sides to Eric because um, for Alexandria's point of view, he's a bastard. But when you kind of break him down, he um, his life was ruined because of his wife, Heather's passion for magic. Right. Um, you know, Heather wanted to make Rose, her daughter, as special as Alex and asked, uh, asked Eric to do the same thing that Peter had done for, for Alex. And, you know, it's basically a, a suicide pact. And he, he saw what happened to Peter. He saw that there was no evidence that Alex was actually special and um, it ruined their marriage. Um, when Heather needed a place to have her book club event because her house is no longer um, a, a good location, she calls him and and he has her over so from alex's point of view no he's he's not very redeeming right but that's that's just because alex represents so much of what went wrong in his life so okay yeah and the question in the chat the the character alex starts in our in our first scene uh, we meet her when she's 14, and then and then the next chapter she's 18. It's four years later. There's a little bit of a time jump. Right. For the for the bulk of the story, she's 18 years old. And I can I can get uh, where you're coming from with that as far as you know life experiences coloring your perceptions and and limited exposure to people in general. Your experience is just going to be whoever it is that's in your mm-hmm. life. I'm I'm actually having to deal with somebody that's that's doing that now. But um, other than that, other than that minor, and it is a minor quibble for me. Other than okay. that, I thought the book it it it's paced really well. Um, you've got, uh, you've got plenty of things happening, so there's not any kind of a lull anywhere around. 
it is told from um, it is told from Alex's point of view, like you say, which means that we discover things as she does. So you're not using the omni- the omniscient narrator. Right. You're you're from her point of view. So would that suggest that as we get further into this, Alex starts to realize that, hey, wait a minute, maybe things aren't as black and white as I originally thought? Because we get a little bit of hint of that at the, at the end of the first book. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the, the echoes that uh, uh, percolates through the book, um, at one point, George says to Alex, you know, women, it's dangerous for women to have this magic. Women are emotional. And, you know, a, a, a mother could obliterate her family after she burns the roast. And a lot of Alex's experiences with, with magic and with the emotional aspects of it are that sometimes you don't have full control over what, what happens. You know, sometimes you lash out in rage or in fear mm. and the consequences exceed the, the circumstances. And that is something that really scares her. And part of part of my idea of bringing that to the story is really, you know, we all have our opinions and we all have our our uh, our beliefs. And there are people who believe the exact opposite of what we do. And, and that doesn't make them wrong. It's just that they have different perspectives and it's important to to start seeing things from multiple points of view. And as Alex starts to see those things, she starts to question everybody's motives. So what I'm hearing you say is something that in some circles, especially on social media, could be considered dangerous talk there, Jason, because you're you're (laughs) actually talking about being open to a diversity of ideas. That's that that kind of thing can get you in trouble there. I know I need to be careful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now, uh, it is it is though interesting that we when we when we get into these stories, I mean, you look at something like WandaVision, for example, same kind of thing. You know, she's had this this very tough trauma, losing you know losing vision, and everything has gone completely wrong, and her brother's dead. Everything, I mean, she just loses her mind, takes over a town, and all of this. And at the end of that, she's the villain. I mean, this is the mm-hmm. villain origin story, and, and we see her, and, and that actually kind of justifies the perspective that you're, you're saying some of the men have here, because she's not rational. You know, she's acting purely on emotion and lashing out and acting out and taking all of, this, taking all of these different actions on the town because of her grief. Mm-hmm. Do we get the flip side of that at some point? Do we do we see the other the other you know the flip of the coin as it were that maybe there are some people who believe well yes actually women should have the magic and and you know the emotion doesn't really quite come into it as much as as people are afraid that does. I don't know if I'm no, asking well, that right, but. <laughs> no, you, you, there, so so there there does come a point where um, you start seeing alliances forming, um, where some of the men who are protecting the library and the books do understand or begin to understand that um, 
what they're doing and what they've believed all these years is probably not the the right thing. And um, we start seeing alliances form. But at, at, at the same time, as magic starts coming back into the world and more people start having access to it, you start to see the fundamental flaws with people having suddenly having power when they didn't have it before. Right. Now, uh, one one thing here, Sci-Fi Snob says, I congratulate the author for tackling this kind of theme. Some people would be afraid to even broach the subject for fear of being canceled. <laughs> kind of like what we had talked about. But yeah. uh, now, uh, the other thing, too, is just as we're talking about all of this, right. YouTube starts buffering. <laughs> so yeah. it's just like, hang on. Um, the algorithm is listening in. So I don't know. We'll see. So... Uh, how has the reception been for the first book? Because, you know, I've, I've got my review out there. You've been posting quotes from other reviews from Amazon over on your Instagram account. Generally good, re- you know, good reception. Or has it been mixed? How's, how's the, how's you know, the it's, general it's been, audience thing? It's been generally very enthusiastic. Um, you know, obviously as an independent author, it's, it's, uh, the, the uphill battle to get it into people's hands. Right. Um, but, once it's there, the, the reception has, for, for 99% of people, been, been really positive. So you talk about the uphill battle. How ha- what, kind of, what kind of preliminaries did you go through uh, as far as raising awareness, building an audience, getting the crowd, you know, priming the pump, as it were, <laughs> get people ready. Say, here's this book. Uh, this book I'm working on. Get ready. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. How do you? How do you raise I am, awareness? I am so bad at that. I, <laughs> I am not a social media fan. Um, if if left to my own devices, uh, I, I probably wouldn't have any accounts. Yeah. Um, they're there because I I need to be there for for the the media. Um, so I started late. Um. And I, I also understand that, especially with a trilogy, people want to see a completed, um, a completed series before they they pick it up. So, um, although I've been out there and pushing as much as I can, I, I, I also know that um, I have one more book to do before um, those those last few readers are uh, are willing to pick it up. Now, how far into the third book are you in terms of writing, editing? So before I published the first book, I finished the first draft of the third book okay. because I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, when you, when you finish that third book and you pick up the first book to make sure everything works, you realize that I gave you everything in those first couple of chapters. Um, so right now what I'm doing is I'm just, I'm going through, I'm making some functional edits. Um, I will send it out to my beta readers I will uh, make some revisions and then I sit down with my editor and we, we go through it. So um, it's there. It's just a matter of, uh, of time over the next several months. Now the, the self publishing route, I have done it. I know several people who have done it. And of course you get the, the crowdfunding groups, you know, the various different people who are making either comic books or, you know, board games or, you know, crowdfunding novels or short films or whatnot on various platforms. One of the things that keeps coming up in terms of individual creators is the need for a good editor. Not just 
a copy editor to go through and find all of your spelling errors and your punctuation mistakes and, oh, this should be capitalized here and you should yep. take out this hyphen here or whatnot. But an actual editor who sits there and says, this scene doesn't work here, it probably should move here. The flow here needs to be tweaked, you need to do this. Well, this character did this here and now you've got them doing that. You need somebody like that who can mm -hmm. actually look at the actual, the meat on the bones, as it were. How long did it take you to find an editor to do that part? And how valuable is that relationship, especially given that you're self-publishing and you don't have, you know, you don't have the big machine behind it? <laughs> Absolutely. Which... So, so the, the first book was in much greater need of editing because I had never been edited before. Mm -hmm. um, I, I found uh, someone on, on Twitter of all places who I had read some of his stuff and um, gave him some sample chapters and I thought Adam was phenomenal. And um, I think he did a, a really, really solid job on the first book. It taught me a lot because I saw where his biggest changes were so that as i was writing two and three i was really able to reflect on where where i had gone wrong with book one um adam unfortunately wasn't able to keep up with me um he his his life got a little out of hand so he's uh i guess out of editing mm. um and i found this phenomenal woman uh julie perry um who isn't actually an editor. She had gone to school for it. That was her intention and life kind of took her in another direction. And um, we sat down and she was going through it. And I, I thought for someone who this was not her profession, she was doing a phenomenal job. But it's, it's someone who you have to find someone who gets you who gets the story who who understands your your voice, um, and isn't afraid to tell you that you're wrong. How are you talking about voice? You're writing from a girl's point of view. And there are some people that would sit there and say, well, you're you're a male. You're at least presenting as a male. How dare you write from a, a female character's point of view? It, it, it has gotten out of hand. I mean, we laugh about it. It has gotten out of hand. It's gotten rather silly. Do you ever worry about any of that stuff? Because, you know, given that you're the you're the promotions department you're the marketing team yep. and social media word of mouth being what it is you depend on that to get this thing out there because you know advertising costs money promotions cost money if you're paying for any mm -hmm. ads on Google or Facebook or whatnot but you know we joke about getting canceled there's a very real risk of that you know and all it takes is one tweet it all it takes one oh, one post on Facebook and suddenly you're just they they'll they'll just come after you blood in the water. Do you ever have any concerns about that? Absolutely. Um, and, and not not about being canceled, but about representing my characters truthfully and um, respectfully. Um, you know, one of one of the important things to for me, we're, we're finding uh, beta readers who the large scope of my beta readers were women, um, several of different ages. And a lot of it was, am I representing women of these ages correctly? 
Um, are they reacting correctly? Are they, um, are they triggering you in any way? Are, are, are you seeing anything that isn't, isn't, um, isn't being honest? And, and that was really important to me. Um, you know, it, it, it can very easily be argued that a woman should have written these stories, but this, while the characters are female, the story is still mine. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yes, I, 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 should I have then written a story about men? Um, you know, it, it kind of, it, it becomes this really weird slippery slope where um, suddenly we have no more fiction because we want the right people to write the right stories. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's more important that we, make sure our stories represent the people and the cultures and the diversity with uh, love and accuracy. I, I could not agree more. I, I think, I think that's one of the things where uh, traditional publishing as well has, or especially has gotten into this uh, almost a, a, a feedback loop. I mean, you look at things like uh, the Hugo Awards, for example, and and that that literati crowd that, you know, things things become popular and they get all these accolades and awards because of who wrote them, not necessarily because of the craft of the story. And, and you're right, there is a, a very real danger where the story becomes secondary to the to the narrator and it's it's one of the things that i worry about it, you know if i sit there and i decide i'm going to go finish finish a book or expand the book that i already published or do do something else where's the mix you know where where do you where do you have that line where you can go this far as far as representation and diversity goes, and you can't go any further because you're not allowed. I mean, you, you start to get paranoid about this kind of stuff sometimes. Absolutely. But, you know, writing is, um, I forget who said it. It's, it's uh, you know, cutting yourself open and bleeding on the page. And there is, there's a lot of putting yourself out there that I think, um, you know, can make criticism difficult to take because it is so much of who you are on the page. Um, but, you know, overall, I, I think that when you look at fiction, especially the past 30, 40 years, um, most stories are about boys and about men. And um, most of them happen to be white. And it is time that we actually look at the people that make up this planet and try to re represent uh, more of them. And I don't have a problem with that. And, and most of the people who criticize that point of view that, you know, the Hugo people would have, I don't think they would have a problem with that either, you know, because, you know, you have characters like Ellen Ripley, you know, you talk about female representation, you've got Ellen Ripley, you've got Catherine Janeway, you've got Sarah Connor, uh, all of the stuff that Ursula Le Guin wrote, you know, so there is there is that history mm -hmm. there. But I think when we start to focus on race and gender 
outside of the story, the narrative of the story. I mean, you, politics is the same way. I don't have a problem with politics in the story as long as the politics fit the narrative of that story that's being told. You know, you know your character's right. politics, not the author's. So uh, on the one hand, I agree with you. Yes, we, give me give me a story that's got any kind of characters on there as long as I'm as long as I'm entertained. I don't care about the mix of characters. So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, here's the second book. And you've even described it. This is your Empire Strikes Back. So, you know, it's act two of a three-act tr- uh, three play. So I'm assuming this one is going to go much darker. Uh, and we will get into that part a little bit here right after the break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Stand by. Live from the bunker, the radio show that's almost as good as bacon. It's Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Hi, everyone. Jason Hunt here inviting you to join us every Saturday morning for news. The week's headlines in science fiction, fantasy, horror, comic books, video games, plus Comic-Con updates and the weather and the occasional interview along the way. We call it Good Morning Multiverse. We hope you join us every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, right here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. The H2O Podcast, Monday night at 8, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. So those of you who are watching the show, you now see one of the main reasons why I don't think an OnlyFans for Office Dog will be successful, because he does not cooperate, because when we set this thing up, he was right there, and now he's not. Good. (laughs) Just... Ah. Anyway, welcome back, everybody. We are live from the bunker talking with Jason Nadler, officially J.H. Nadler, who is uh, the author of The Books of Alexandria, uh, book two, now out in the wild. And how are you feeling so far? You know, this thing's just now gone live. Have we got... Are, are you are now that now that we're into book two or opening night jitters, not a thing anymore? No, I'm really, really excited to have this out there. Um, you know, the, the the big challenge with writing a book is that once you hit publish, it's done. Um, there's no no go backs. There's no edits. And, um, you know, as you grow as a writer, there there are moments that you look back and you go, Oof, I would have done things a little bit differently there or I would have done things a little bit differently there. And so you have to walk away from the things you've, you've published previously, but, um, unless you're the second book, I'm yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, but this, this second book, I'm really, really proud of. I I think it, uh, really opens up the, the, the universe and, um, opens the story. But, you know, it's, it's funny that you talk about, you know, walking away from it. And, and we mentioned George Lucas just in jest, but Lucas has even said, you never finish it, you you abandon it. You walk away from it. But nowadays, we're starting to see, you know, we, we got uh, word here as far as, like, with Stranger Things, for example. Yep. 
And yeah. you have now the ability, and with self-publishing, you have the file. You're putting the file out there. It's print on demand or you know, however many copies that you get. You can actually go back and make changes and, and alterations and subtle little nips and tucks. And nobody would be the wiser unless they have a, a earlier copy of the book. It's tempting. Right. Uh, it, it is. I, I, I think... And, and I may regret these words, but I, I think that my time is better spent creating something new than going back and fiddling with something old. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think once it's done, and, and I had this happen too. I mean, I, I self-published a, a small book, put it out there, and I'm like, you know, I, I, I really should have gone back and done this and done this. But the goal of that particular book was very specific. So now I sit there and say, okay, well, I'm not going to do anything to change that one but maybe I'll do a new version of it and expand on it and do, you know, do a bigger thing, or I may just do something new, you know, completely altogether. But it does, there is that little, that little niggling thought right there in the back of your head that goes, Oh, if only I had done X, but it's, you know, something you file away for the next book, I guess. Right. It, it is. And, you know, part of, part of what I have to ask is how much would it change the story if I, if I did make that change, would yeah. it, um, you know, the, the changes that I would like to make in, in the first book are so, so minimal that, um, you know, they're just, they're just changes of the pages that that moment takes place on. It has no real bearing on the rest of the story. So whether I make that change or not, I, I, I don't think that it, um, I don't think that it alters the reader's experience really that much. Yeah. Well, and, and now that you've got the third book almost done, what's next? Where do you go from here? Are we, are we looking at a fourth? Is there a, an idea for a fourth book in this? Or do we come to a conclusion here, the third book, and we're finished? Well, I, I think that um, I wanted to come to a conclusion with the third book. Um, you know, I, I didn't want to have a, a Douglas Adams increasingly mislabeled trilogy. <laughs> Um, but I, I also wanted to write a story where I created my own, my own universe and my own rules and my own mythology. And, um, because it's a place that I'm comfortable writing in. So whereas there may be other books that take place in this universe that take place because of events that took place in these stories, will we ever read about Alex and Rose again? I, I at this point, I don't think so. It's always possible, but that was never the intent when I started out. And you mentioned rules. Um, it, it, it brings to mind world building because, you know, you talk about very specific things and, and having that that this changes that or, or I, if I move it, it doesn't change much. You have a very fixed structure. You've got a very uh, specific idea of how things work in this world. How much research, how much work did you have to do in the world building aspects of it behind the scenes before you felt like, okay, I know enough, I can keep track of it enough, I'm going to go do the story, I'm not going to trip myself up because, you know, so-and-so's hair is brown here and is blonde here and, you know, they're dead in chapter three, but now I bring <laughs> it back in chapter eight. Oh, no. Yeah. How much, how much preparation did you need to do? It wasn't um, this has been this has been 45 years in the making. Um, <laughs> one of 
I've always been a, a mythology person. And one of my things is to playfully come up with my own versions of mythology. So whether that is what happens when we die, where we go when we dream, why cats sit on books, um, those are all things that I kind of just created silly little answers in my head. And those became building blocks for the story. So, um, you know, that, that world came together very quickly and very easily um, because I had been so practiced in it. Yeah. Um, a little, a little backstory to that is um, about three, four years ago when I decided to write this, I, um, I had mentioned to my wife, you know, I, I finally have some free time. I have this itch to get back to writing and I really want to want to do it. And she said, you know, the last time you wrote, it was months of outlines and character cards and just building up before you even wrote your first word. If you want me to support you, and I, I will, you have to start writing right away. Like take a couple of weeks, come up with some ideas, but I want you to write. I don't want you to spend all this energy making outlines because that's, yeah. you know, that, that ends up being a waste of time on, on the front. And, and so I sat down and I, I realized that in order for me to understand this world, I needed to tap into all of those mythologies. And um, once I got some few basic rules down and um, came up with a handful of characters, it just, uh, it flowed really quick. Some authors uh, describe that flow as, you know, the characters are talking to me and I'm just writing it down. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the, uh, I'm the, the passive uh, stenographer right. in this, right? And in some, it's, you know, oh, I, I'm definitely, a no, I know where I'm going at the end of this and I have a plan, and, you know, whether it's an outline or it's bullet points or it's note cards or post-it notes or whatever. It sounds like this was a little bit of both. How much of this was freeform? Do you know, when you started, did you know where you were going to end? I knew, I knew how I wanted it to end. I didn't know where. Um, I developed some key sequences along the way. Uh, I'm, I'm a very... A visual writer, so you know, or cin cinematic writer. So uh, I'm I'm picturing almost like movie scenes in my head, and then trying to describe them. And so I knew that I had these these touch points that I wanted to hit. You know, I would I would say to Laura while I was writing. You know, I had this interesting discovery today where um, Alex came up with this realization that. Uh, kind of changes where the story's going. And, and she'd look at me and she'd be like, you know, your Alex isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she's right. But, you know, part of, part of writing other characters is, is like acting. Yeah. Um, it is, it is embodying these other people and understanding what they think and what they feel. And sometimes you have this realization that this person would have a different perception than you do. And it takes the story in a different way. Um, I'm also, when I write, I hate when plans go according to plan. Uh, I feel that plans kind of need to break to make the story interesting because, you know, how many of us make plans and they go off without a hitch? That's just, just not real life. 
I I have lost track of the number of times uh, we have run into that here. <laughs> Not necessarily because the plan goes awry, but you know the the gremlins and the stone martin weasels have their say, and suddenly you push a button and the thing that goes ick doesn't go ick, and you know now you're like okay well I've got this problem now what am I going to do? Um, it, it, a good case in point we have had static in our audio for for a, a, a long while. And I finally replaced a cable. I finally tracked down the problem, replaced a cable, and now I've lost the right channel in my audio because I'm not using a mono cable. So now I got to go back and do that. So it's always okay. Yes, I know. Here's my plan. I'm going to deal with this today, and then something yep. comes up. Writing is the same way. Okay, I, I, my characters are going to do this. I'm going here, but oh wait, this character now suddenly has this thing going on and now we're going to go off in this direction how many times did the characters surprise you i guess for for lack of a better word often um there were a lot of surprises there were some really big surprises one of one of the surprises you'll you'll discover as you really get into book two and that's um the direction rose took that was that was not my intention when i started writing it but uh um, I realized, I guess she realized something about herself and, um, she went off in a different direction than I was planning. And I think, uh, the story is richer for it. A lot of times, uh, authors, you know, talk about how various different characters reflect different aspects of themselves. So I'm writing a book. I've got this lead character. I've also got the villain. I've got this side character. I've got this sidekick. And else. how much of you makes it into these stories and how much of these characters are other people that you know and do, do they know that and have they given you a hard time about it yet so um i i went out of my way to avoid having anyone that i know actually in the story or as a main character there there, there is one character who um is a cousin of mine she makes a brief entry in one chapter of book two um, just my way to say I love you to her. Mm. Um, but otherwise, um, you know, I've also always described Alex as definitely a, a big part of my heart. Um, she is a very caring, uh, empathetic person. Um, but other than that, these characters are, are largely... Um, you know, cut from from fantastical cloth. No. There is an aspect of the story that involves fire. Of course, we, we're talking about magic and witches. you got to have a burning at the stake. But in, in a broader aspect of this, there are some manifestations of this magic that involve fire. And I see all of the fire memorabilia. You've been a, fire, a volunteer firefighter. How much of that... You know, are you able to sit there and go, oh, well, this would work this way because I know fire. Are you able to bring any real world experiences into this? I mean, it is a fantasy, but yeah. I, well, I think grounding it in some kind of reality probably helps that more than it takes absolutely. away from it. Yeah. Well, it was it was my experience both with with fire, but also with people in emergencies and seeing how they reacted and um what 
what things do to people in the moment. Um, it definitely enriched my writing. Um, it definitely gave me a uh, broader perspective. Uh, yes, this story is fantasy, but it's um, it's fantastical events that happen in as real a world as can be in fiction. Yeah. Was there a particular decision process in setting this in the modern era as opposed to, say, Salem, Massachusetts or Victorian era, 1800s or anything like that? Was there was there a reason why it's set in now as opposed to some other time? I didn't put a whole lot of thought into um, when I was going to set it. it. It just kind of evolved and spoke to a very modern era. Um, you know, obviously these are books I started writing pre-COVID. Mm -hmm. um, it just, it felt like the right time for this moment where um, it, felt, it felt like the right time for this story just um where 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 people were and i i'm trying not to go down some stupid political road because that <laughs> that was not my intention at all um but well although see the thing about it is though Jason, in 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 trying to avoid that you you actually highlight yeah. a particular problem that we that we have because m modern day especially post pandemic but I think, and this has been discussed in a number of different places, a number of different YouTube channels. We've all talked about this. Going back to about 2010, I guess you could say, the, the quote-unquote culture war really started to ramp up. And then after the Trump election, you know, he's, he's president 2015, 2016. People just absolutely lost their minds. And now you can't have any kind of a discussion about anything without politics coming up. And and you're sitting there, and you know, we're we're talking about we're talking about when you set the book, you know, in time right. period, and now you're stumbling. Well, I I don't want to get into politics. I don't want to talk about politics. It's it's become such this third rail that we're we're so paranoid about right. talking about it at all. It's it's crazy how 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 we've been affected by all of this. And you talk about COVID and pandemic. That's just added to it. Um, right. But Sci-Fi Snob is here for the rescue because he's got a question here. How would the book appeal to teenagers, like, say, 16, 17-year-olds? Was yeah, this written I, for I, a I think so. Audience? We had a few, a few younger women read it. Um, uh, you, you can... It has some, some violence to it, but uh, I don't think anything is, uh, is too extreme. Um, you know, Alex is a, a young woman. She's exploring the world. She's trying to get on with her life. She has things that she believes are adult experiences that she wants to have. And suddenly she has this responsibility thrust on her and she begins to understand what being an adult actually means. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't mean having the freedom to make your own choices. It's, uh, you know, having the responsibility to take care of the people around you. There is uh, another aspect to that, the the fact that Alex is not a Mary Sue type of character. I mean, she's got she's got challenges. She has issues. She's got, you know, uh, emotional and and she's got history and she's got trauma. And she's got things that are getting in her way. 
And some of that is internal, some of that's external. So it's not just, oh, I have magic now, you know, and everything's and everything's fine. There's a struggle there, and I really uh, I like the fact that even when we have magic as a component in this story, your characters are handling it in very human ways, and and everybody's reaction is different. Everybody's level of involvement is like, oh wait, you mean this is real? Because the book club is the coven, the the modern day coven. And some of them apparently, you know, they strike me as being in there as, oh, well, this this is just a thing we do on Saturday nights instead of playing bridge. What do you mean Absolutely. it's real? <laughs> it's serious? Hold on. Wait, why is that person on fire? You know, it, and, and I can just imagine, you know, you're 12 or 13 women that are standing around, and some of them reacting to the reality of the circumstance in a way that that could be comical if you write it a certain a certain way was there well, you know i, 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 well, I was gonna say was it important to you to really flesh out and make because even even your minor characters feel like they've got a little depth to them a little dimension you know we don't have cookie cutter characters you've got kind of a chosen one narrative getting started here so it's real easy to slip into tropes and stereotypes, did you ever catch yourself and they're going, oh, no, I can't, we got to do, we got to do this a little bit different. Well, you know, from the beginning, um, it was really important to me to stay away from a lot of the tropes. Um, it, it, Alex getting magic, if you really think about it, is the biggest problem she has. Um, because her life was was fine before that, you know, she she had regular teenage issues before that, and suddenly, uh, you know, she has magic and she has everybody's attention in in both good and bad ways, and um, she went from being an eighteen year old kid who is thinking about college and boys, to a um, the only witch on the planet, and. Um, Suddenly, she has uh, she has tremendous responsibility that she wasn't prepared for. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. I was particularly taken with the Abby character. Um, I, we've seen her before. We've seen this character before. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and I, it it kind of reminds me uh, the Abby character. She reminds me of Flo. From the sitcom Alice, Kiss My Grits, okay. Flow. Yep. In, in terms of the attitude, I'm not going to take. I'm not going to take any grief from you. I'm just going to do my thing, and I'm going to say my say what I think, and let the chips fall where they may. I mean, she's tough, and I I, I can see her driving a, a an eighteen wheeler, for example. I've met some like that because in my stagehand work, you know, you'll you'll meet the truck drivers and you meet the, the road crew and, and for all of these different shows and concerts and wrestling and all of that. And some of those women are, you know, take no grief from anybody types. And Abby strikes me as, as being like, she would be comfortable in that crowd. Are, is there a specific set of characteristics you wanted for her uh, because because of the function that she plays in this in this story you know 
the attitude kind of comes with it. But also, if she had a completely different type of character, her function, her reaction to what has to happen would be a lot different. How, how did you make those connections that sit there? Okay, well, Abby's got to do this, so she needs to be this kind of person. Um, well, part of who Abby is, and you, you really learn this in, in the next book, um, Abby is Alex's familiar. Um, she has made a sacrifice to serve Alex. And um, that's something that comes up later in the first book. So I apologize for the spoiler. But um, you'll you'll learn what some of the sacrifice and some of the consequences are of that. And, you know, it's... Alex doesn't realize... Alex sees her relationship with Abby as being a, a, a relationship of friendship. Mm-hmm. Yet I saw it almost as the... Um, the T-100 from Terminator 2. You know, Abby is there to at, no matter what, protect Alex. Yeah. Okay. So one thing I noticed, I'm looking through the books. Book one ends with chapter 43. Book two begins with chapter 43. And... I'm I'm looking at this. I'm thinking, okay, I haven't seen this in book form done this way. Now, The Mandalorian has done that, where you have you know ch- chapters one through ten for the first season, and it picks up chapter eleven in the second season, and all that. And I haven't seen that in a in a book before that I that I can recall anywhere. What was the decision on that? I was trying to find ways to. To, to guide the reader that this is not, although the, the, although I think these are complete stories unto themselves, mm-hmm. there is definitely an order that they, they need to be read in. So is there, is there, uh, there's an overlap here. Yes, because forty three is at the end of the first book, and it's in the beginning of the second book, and they're not exactly the same. Well, chapter forty three is it a piece? It's, it's and then it continues. Yeah, there's there's yeah. two or three paragraphs at the end of the first book, and and that's where we start, and then it just jumps into the to the next story. Okay, all right. So so forty three at the end of one is almost like the end credits scene. It's you know. Because right. I have seen that in a number of books, you'll have the you'll have the whole thing, and then the publisher will give you a, a, a sample of a couple of chapters from the next book. Don't miss right. the sequel. Here's here's the beginning of it, and like that. So it's almost like you've done that. Kind of, yeah. I okay. mean, it's you know the um, that last chapter is one page long, not not quite in in the first book. So. Um, it was kind of important to me to kind of let the reader know you are starting from exactly where we left off. Gotcha. Okay. So what happens after you're done with these three, these three books are done, the universe, you walk away from that, this story universe, at least for now, what other stories do you have planned? Any ideas something you want to tackle next? What's your, what's your next great American novel project that you've got percolating in your head? You know, I, I, I have a handful of things 
rummaging around in, in the noggin. Um, nothing set in stone yet. Um, I think, I think that in the moment when I sit down to write, um, any ideas that I had last year or even this year, um, I'm not going to be that person next year. So, um, you know, when I, when the time comes, I will, uh, I will find something. All I right. Hope. Jason Nadler, thanks very much for being here, sir. The uh, website where you can find out more, jhnadler.com. We do have a link to that in our notes. Uh, he's also over on Twitter, uh, jhnadler. Are you on any of the, uh, the alternative social media sites or anything like that? Um, I'm on Vero. Okay. Um, other than that, that's that's the only alternative one that I've I've explored so far. Okay, and you can read our review of book one over at sci-fi for me.com. Uh, the two books, the books of Alexandria, book one, the book club, and book two, the between, both of them now available. Um, I enjoyed the first one. Hopefully, I'll enjoy the second one. I imagine I, I don't I don't anticipate not enjoying it. I think so far it's it's been a fun ride. So, uh, thank you. As soon as I have it read and finished and get the review out, we'll put that out as well. And, uh, and then we'll have you back for book three. Fantastic. Thank you, Jason. All right. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, you too. And, you know, after all of this time where where you guys have been doing this, now we actually get to have a conversation. So, uh, yeah. All right. So there is that. Thanks very much, uh, for being here, everyone, all of you in the chat. Uh, don't forget. Uh, you know, I, I mention it, I commiserate about it, I tell people that uh, we shouldn't be there, but we're on 10 different social media platforms, you can find us everywhere, we're on four video platforms, we got a newsletter to sign up for, and I don't have time to maintain any of it at all with any degree of quality, so there is that. So feel free to share the links to this or any of the rest of the videos or the channels or anything like that. And we will be back to do this again on Friday. <sighs> I'm tired. <laughs> we will talk to you later, folks. Remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 